Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with Dan Bowden, Chief Information Security Officer at Centara Health. In this segment, Bowden talks about why he believes it's more important than ever for CISOs to be able to think and present from a business standpoint, the valuable lessons he learned during his time in academics and the banking industry, and the critical mistake we're making when it comes to growing the next generation of leaders. Right, it's just a really important foundation for uh, mm-hmm. for the organization. Okay. Exactly. I think when you put that together, then you've got two-factor authentication, privileged access management on devices. I mean, in terms of security, all of a sudden, you're pretty hard to beat, you know? Yeah. Now, if you've got some, if you're you're doing a good job blocking exposure to your software vulnerabilities, if not patching them outright, you now have become a pretty a pretty challenging target. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of bad actors will will maybe opt to look elsewhere. That, that's one of the big ones I'm I'm after to try to uplift, not just for Santera, but for all of healthcare and you know bigger picture. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. And when you talk about making that case or really tying it to the business goals, it seems like that's something that's really a key part of the CISO strategy now. It, it absolutely is. So my my identity proofing scenario, right? I described a way to improve your experience, but we have physicians who bounce through different parts of our hospital, hospital to hospital. We have 12. We'll soon be part of a a health system with 18. And they have a lot of authentication and identity friction. And so maybe with this solution, I, if not eliminate it, reduce it by 80, 90%. That's a business Mm -hmm. enabler. Managing provider directory, the credentialing process for physicians, taking the friction out of that so that when you hire, bring on a new physician, we reduce the credentialing process down to where they're now helping us bring in revenue much quicker than normal past metrics. With patients, you know, managing our, our master patient index more accurately. That helps improve efficiency on billing, accuracy and charting. But you're exactly right. As a CISO, you need to think about what's in it for the business, right? And if you've got something there, it's easy, easier to have those kind of things um, looked at and adopted. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it certainly must come into play when you have that, when you have a good relationship with other leadership and you have that rapport established, but also just that you're using data. It's being driven by data, but then also just really having had that trust built already. Absolutely. I've been at Centera. I just went over four years uh, last month. And uh, when I came on board, it was, um, I guess you described as sort of a reset for the security program. And uh, so I was, I've been able to do and roll out some good solutions. And having been successful with those, that kind of builds up your credibility or your goodwill, right, with the organization. And so that's another thing that contributes to to getting things done in the future. Right, right. And um, wanted to to talk a little bit also about your background. You said about four mm-hmm. years with Santara, and so prior to that, you were uh, Utah in uh, in 
a similar role or a security type role? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when I left the University of Utah, I was the CISO for University of Utah Healthcare and for the University of Utah, the academic side. Okay. And so I actually reported to both the health system CIO and the University of Utah campus CIO. And uh did a lot of security work, a lot of infrastructure projects and work. And uh, when you're at a, a mixed academic uh, healthcare organization, a lot of really uh, interesting challenges, very, uh, very diverse environment. And so I, I learned to work in a world of uh, managing assets security-wise that there, there wasn't as nearly as much homogeneity at Centera, I, I benefit more where there are things are a little bit more standard, and we, we try to work as a, a system. And uh, where when you're at a university, there's a lot of sub-optimizing that, that you do, and so you have to learn how to, how, how to, to do good security across a lot of sub-optimized kind of ecosystems. Right. Yeah, I, I can imagine that that was probably an ongoing challenge, having these two different worlds and... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, linking them together, or at least making sure that they're both getting what they needed in terms of security. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because you you learn to pick your battles as a so <laughs> that's another thing, you know. And on the health system, they um, there's a different risk tolerance, right? Um, yeah. University of Utah Healthcare, the health system is obviously very risk averse, and uh, we're protecting patient data. University of Utah is a very well-known uh, R1 research institution. And mm -hmm. so they're, uh, not that they didn't have a, a high risk tolerance, but there was a definitely a drive to get research done and engage with and attract the kind of people and organizations who would help with, you know, facilitating that research mission, technology transfer, things like that. So, um different factors kind of pulling on the, the mission um, across the organization. Sure. It was, so that's, that's not something where you solve it in a day, but mm -hmm. it's probably always uh, changing. It, it's the truth. It always is. Okay. And that was, that was your first foray into healthcare? Yes. Yes. I got to the University of Utah in 2007. Before that, I was uh, in banking for about eight years and uh, again, did security, architecture, infrastructure. I was there through Y2K, I'm dating myself now. Um, <laughs> and then uh, prior to Y2K, I, I did a few years at a, what was then a major retail organization. And then before that, I was in the military. Um, that's where I kind of learned my cybersecurity uh, trade. I was uh, involved in, you know, information technology operations, encryption, things like that. And so I, I joke that I'm one of those who's old enough to remember holding an encryption key in my hand. And uh, young people, they have a hard time wrapping their head around that. So. <laughs> okay. So going from uh, finance to healthcare was probably pretty interesting because certainly uh, this cybersecurity landscape is, I would think, incredibly advanced on that end. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of interesting factors, right? You know, by that time, you know, early 2000s, cybersecurity was definitely a big priority in finance. And, and even with it being a big priority, mm -hmm. was, was always a challenge. 
with healthcare, 2007 was an interesting time because we were just getting into great degrees and levels of adoption of mm -hmm. electronic health record systems. And just the ability to share data well was a challenge. And so either the big breaches weren't happening or they weren't being reported. And that was one of the challenges. We weren't sure which was the truth, right? Are, are we yeah. just not watching the data well and reporting on it? And with HIPAA, that was when President Obama passed as part of some of the, the challenges from the financial um, issues we had in 2008, 2009, past uh, the ARA. Down in that, there was a change with HIPAA, where enforcement of HIPAA transitioned from CMS, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, over to the Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights. And so that was the kind of that seminal moment of, okay, now we're, we're being more aggressive on reporting security and privacy incidents and breaches. Because if you look prior to that change, there were very few, um, if any, that were reported while CMS was responsible for enforcement. But uh, as soon as enforcement was handed over to HHS, Office of Civil Rights, then it definitely became a priority. And that was right around that time, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, mm -hmm. when I got, got to the University of Utah. And that's when we, we really embarked on a lot of work. And it's, uh, it's always been a challenge. So that's, you know, when healthcare really, that change with HIPAA enforcement, that's really when HIPAA had its day in terms yeah. of holding organizations accountable to patients and, and health plan members. Yeah. Yeah, you picked a pretty interesting time to get into healthcare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was good. But I was I was really blessed. I jumped into an organization, University of Utah, where they were doing a lot of transition. You know, they had Cerner and Epic, got a new CIO in, a new CEO in. And so I got to see a lot of stuff, so to speak, in, in just a handful of years and had great people there that I was able to learn from. So that was a big benefit for me. Sure. You worked with uh, Jim Turnbull? Yes. Yes, I did. I talked with Jim just you know, over email a few weeks before he retired back in July. I just reminded me I got to try to catch up with Jim again sometime. <laughs> yeah, great. So last thing I, I wanted to talk about was uh, the time with the Air Force. And you had mentioned that that's kind of where you learned some of the cybersecurity mm -hmm. trade. but um, can you talk about any other ways you can think of that it really kind of helped shape you as a leader, as an individual? It was huge. I think today, and I, I comment on this a lot, the best thing about the Air Force, and I think the military overall, is the continual mentoring and leadership training. And, you know, in the military, every single day on the job, at least my experience in the Air Force, was leadership training. So my my boss was training me to do his or her job, and I, in turn, was responsible for training whoever, you know, I had a trainee assigned to me. And that's what it was all about. It was all about mentoring. It was all about training. It was all about advancing your skill and contributing to the mission. And so yeah. it taught me a lot, the value of it and the importance of professional development. It's still a big deal to me today. I'll maybe spare you some of my soapbox 
about what we do to young people today with going to college. We tell them you need to go get a degree in order to get a job, and then they go get their degree, and we refuse to hire them because they don't have experience. Right. And yeah. it makes me mad. And so at Centera, I have an outstanding group of leaders that report to me on my team. And uh, we have a, a part-time staffing program for students. And so the universities around us in the Hampton Roads area there of Virginia, at any given time, we have 8 to 12 or 14 students who work part-time for us until they graduate, uh, get hired somewhere else, or get hired by us. And so we've hired a handful. I think we're going to be hiring our fifth one, maybe sixth one, you know, in the past four years ourselves. And then I would say at least that many others have gotten very good jobs at organizations as big or bigger than Centera. Like I tell people that I remember the people who taught me, you know, in the Air Force, I can still name all the people I worked for and what they did for me. And uh, when I when I moved out of the Air Force into the civilian world, it's harder. There isn't as much time spent mentoring people. I think yeah. just the the nature makeup of stress of the jobs, it's harder to do. And you know, where in the military the point is to see people advance and move on. I think maybe you call it the, the civilian world. We we get caught up on other priorities. It's not that we don't don't want to see people move on. It's just that we don't. We're not always as active in in seeing that happen as we could. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm in a family. I have one brother that was Navy, one was Army, and one was Marines. Mm. So I've seen uh, you know how it's impacted them, and it's, to me, it just really seems like it's been a positive thing. And well, see, that's the cool thing about the military is. Yeah, you meet every kind of person, right? And yeah. you you learn at the end of the day, 99% of the stuff, the important stuff in your life, 99% of everybody's list is the same. And yeah. um, that's what I learned when I was in the military. Maybe the, the things on the list, the order changes sometimes, you know, based on, yeah. you know, where you are in your life and what's going on. But it's still important, right? And so that was uh, that was a great experience for me, and um, I'm I'm blessed. You know, I think a lot of the younger guys who are young women who who've come through the military maybe in the last ten years or so, it's been much harder for them than it was for me. Um, I'm incredibly blessed. I, I would say I I probably got ten times out of my experience in the military uh, more than it took from me. And not every not everyone can say that. And I'm very thankful for those who served the past ten twenty years really, I think, had much more of a challenge and maybe weren't as uh, set up to, you know, they're just opportunities or injuries or things like that haven't worked out as well as they could. And I think it's important to look out for them as well. And I think that's another yeah. reason I like these mentoring programs, you know, with, with college and veterans and things like that. Yeah, that's, agreed. That that's really great to see. And there's really no better way to learn than to have someone who's willing to share uh, the good, the bad, and, uh, you know, is looking out for you. So that, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that that's, that covers it. Um, is anything else I'll follow up? Yeah, sure. And, uh, all have right. a great day. I'll be in touch soon. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, 
visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.